Genesis, it says, in the beginning, God. The next last verse of Revelation says, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And every page and every word and every thought that ever came out of the heart of God was that you would know that he is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. That when he speaks, all other voices are insignificant. And when he acts, he acts to redeem man to himself. From Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, we see a picture, a picture of the great heart of God, a God who loves us in spite of our sin, a God who forgives us when we don't deserve it, a God who changes lives and changes hearts. Every moment that we are awake, someone is playing for our heart. Someone or something is trying to draw our heart into allegiance, into devotion, into action. And when we think about the heart, it is the application of God's word to our heart that will make a difference. And yet the world has all kinds of ideas about the heart. Most of them are wrong. I looked through this week into some songs that deal with the heart. Patti LaBelle sang The Last Unbroken Heart. I'm sure there's been one since she sang that song. Heart of Glass by Blondie, Unbreak My Heart by Tony Braxton, I'll Never Break Your Heart. The Backstreet Boys, people cried when they broke up. (laughs) My heart will go on, Celine Dion, with all the money she made off of that, I'm sure it will. Here's my heart, Lionel Richie, straight from the heart, Brian Adams, peace of my heart, Janis Joplin, heartbreak hotel, Elvis Presley, going to be a heartache tonight, the Eagles, heart of gold, Neil Young, every beat of my heart, Rod Stewart, and then the classic Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band by the Beatles. And then you get to Billy Ray Sice, that song that we all wish we could get out of our head, (laughs) the achy, breaky heart. I don't know what he was smoking when he wrote that, but (laughs) Dolly Parton sang, put a little love in your heart, in my heart. I cross my heart, George Strait, and of course, Patsy Cline's Your Cheating Heart, which you have to sing with a cold and your nose stopped up and a nasal twinge to your voice. And then there are thousands of songs in the Christian community about our heart and change my heart, oh God. I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and we all know that, but sooner or later, this is a heart that we're all going to talk about right here. This is about the size of the normal human heart, and uh, sooner or later, no matter who you are, no matter how much you take care of yourself, and no matter how much fiber you eat, You're going to sit down in a doctor's office one day and he's going to say, we need to do a stress test. We need to do an EKG. We need to take a look at your heart. And something is going to be wrong with it. A valve or some chamber in your heart is going to be wrong. And a doctor is going to tell you, if we don't fix this, you won't make it. And so... He may pull out something like this, or he may take a picture, or he may show you some 
uh, image of your heart and he'll take the chambers apart and he'll show you where the valves come in and where the blood goes in and the blood goes out and, and you'll see all of this and you'll think, so that's what's keeping me alive is this thing right here that you can fit in the palm of your hand. And yet with the genius of technology and of medical experts and, and skilled physicians, somebody can go in and literally do an open heart surgery on you and you can survive and have a better quality of life. You see, all of us, whether we admit it or not or know it or not or want to uh, acknowledge it, there's a blockage building up in our heart and in our arteries and eventually it will either kill us or it will have to be corrected. But I want to go on a deeper level because there's a blockage that can get in our spiritual heart. And that blockage cannot, maybe it won't kill us, but it will certainly make us ineffective. We will not be fit for kingdom service if, if we don't download the app of God's heart into our lives. And so when we talk about the heart condition this morning, it's not about your cholesterol, it's about your character. Because when God deals with the heart, he's talking about the seat of all that makes man, man. Your heart, your mind, your will, your emotions. And so I want us to do a little spiritual EKG this morning. And if you can just put a few little pads on your chest, and if you can let this hook up a monitor and allow yourself to look at your heart, and most of all for the Holy Spirit to be the great physician of your heart spiritually that can help you to see where it is that the flow of God's grace and the flow of God's blessings and the flow of God's love and healing and forgiveness might be being hindered in you. And so I want to ask you to turn to Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 20. There are more than 700 references to the heart in the scripture and, and almost 80 in the book of Proverbs. And you, you may say, you know, I thought this app series was going to be about all the issues that I'm dealing with. Well, it is, but the heart issue determines all the other issues. If we don't get our heart right, then the marriage app and the sexuality app and the finance app and all those other things won't make as much sense. And in fact, they won't work. Because it's all built around the heart. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 20. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ears to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to all their body. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Now I want you to notice those two phrases, that we are to keep the words, the wisdom of God in the midst of our heart, our thinking, our DNA. And it, because if we watch over it with diligence, all the things of life flow from our heart. Solomon is obviously not talking about our physical heart. He is talking about that which the Bible pictures as all that makes us, us. And so the problem is living life by learning to apply to our hearts 
the things that are on God's heart. We need to hear God's heart and to know God's heart so that when we respond with our life, we are not responding in compartmentalization, but we are responding in totality. It is about the power of the choices we make. And those choices we make in the spiritual view are in the realm of the heart, the mind, the will. Proverbs is in many ways a parent-child training manual. And if you want to know how to get the heart of your child, you need to be familiar with what the Proverbs say because Proverbs doesn't just deal with the issues they face on a day-to-day -day basis. It deals with the heart of why we do and don't do what we do and don't do. So if you're going to be a good parent and if you're going to be a good child and if you're going to have the best possibility of success, get your heart right. Not only is it a parent-child training manual, but it's a leadership training manual. If you want to know how to be a good leader in your home, in your business, on your campus, then you need to understand the heart issues that are dealt with in Proverbs. It's not just a good leadership training manual, it's a good discipleship training manual. It tells you how to train and how to nurture and how to disciple and mentor someone, the kind of life lessons that they need to apply to their hearts. And then it's a reminder of the consequences of choices. Proverbs gives us this contrast between wisdom and folly. It's the, the picture of the consequences and we, we don't make the right choices. Now, Proverbs tells us that if we don't listen to God's wisdom, we may end up dating the wrong person. We may end up marrying the wrong person. We will certainly end up making bad decisions about money and about resources. We will not be able to resolve conflicts, and we will not have a good attitude. And so when Proverbs talks about the heart, it's talking about everything in life, and the key is getting the Word of God in our heart. That's why I would recommend to you that you read a proverb every day because when you start getting it in your head and in your heart then when you're faced with moral and ethical choices when you're faced with gray areas where there's no clear statement about what's right and what's wrong what's black and white you will know in your heart how you need to respond and so god wants us to get the word in our heart so that we can get the will of God in our head, so that we can do the will of God and the word of God in our walk with him. There's an interesting quote that I found in my study that there's a professor of English literature at Harvard, not where you would think this statement would come, but here's what he said. It is a waste of time to teach English literature to a person who doesn't know the Bible. Because the great works of the world, many of them came out of some reference to a Christian worldview. Right. He says it's useless to teach English if you don't teach the Bible. Now, I wish that our school still felt that way. But at least there's a professor at Harvard that feels that way. Sad to say it's at Harvard. Maybe it's good to say it's there. It's also a waste of time to talk about marriage and values and priorities and sexuality and dating 
if you're not going to get the heart issue right. Because all of that will just be rules added on to life for which you can say, hey, I can break the rules anytime I want to. And that is a sign that the heart is not right. Because when the heart is right, we'll make the right choices. And I want you to notice three things about this verse in Proverbs 4. First of all, it is a command. He doesn't say, if you get around to it, he says, watch over. It's a command. God commands us to watch over our heart. You say, well, if God wants me to change, he'll convict me. God commands you to watch over your heart. That means to watch over what you look at, what you listen to, who you talk to, who you fellowship. God's command to you and I is that we are to take responsibility for watching over our own hearts. Now, a lot of people are real good at watching over everybody else's heart. But this is about watching over our own hearts. Secondly, it is to be a priority of life with all diligence. Not just when we're at church, not just when we're having a quiet time, not just when we're around Christian friends, but with diligence. When we're in a hotel room by ourselves, when we're traveling, when we're in mixed company, when we are are by ourselves and our spouse is not with us, you watch over your heart with diligence. And then there's a logical reason for it. For from it flow the springs of life. And so when he talks about watch over with all diligence, he says he's meaning above all else, above everything else that you're watching over, your job, your physical health, your finances, your retirement account, above everything else that you're paying attention to, pay attention to your heart. And when he uses that word watch over, by the way, you need to write this in the margin of your Bible because it is a great picture of what it means to watch over. The word is a word that could easily be translated prison or confinement. What Solomon is saying is build a wall around your heart that you can't get out of and nobody can get into. Watch over your heart. Confine it. Seal it off. Protect it. Preserve it your heart. Now here's one way it could read if you just wanted to kind of weigh this out. More than all else to be closely watched and protected as something in a confined place. Preserve your heart, your inner self, the place where God speaks to you through his word and his spirit. Now why is that important? We'll look at the verse. For from it flow the springs of life or from within it flow the springs of life. You see, what comes out of the mouth is what's in the heart. All the mouth and the actions of the hands and the eyes do is reveal the condition of our heart, where we really are, when we're not playing games. It's what's tied to us. You know, it's like somebody says, well, I, I I just lost my temper. Have you ever noticed that your temper is the only thing you can lose and keep? I lost my head. Why? Because the heart is not sealed off and protected. Now, what are the springs of life? A good translation would be the source of life. For out of your heart flow the source of your life. 
that Christ is your life, that the Word of God is the driving, defining force of your life. Out of it flow the issues of life. It sets the course of your life. Now listen. From the time your children are old enough to learn and for every day of our life until the day we die and can no longer learn, we are to be ever learning the heart of God so that with learning the heart of God, we're making good decisions about life because the decisions we make do not stand in isolation. And you and I are affected by the decisions that we make for the rest of our lives. There are consequences to our choices, and so we are to watch over our heart. And so let's look at several things here about the condition of your heart. First of all, the heart is the place of emotions. I want you to turn to Proverbs chapter 12. Proverbs chapter 12. The heart is the place of emotions. Proverbs chapter 12. Now, God does not do his deepest work in the shallowest part of our being. And our emotions are the shallowest part of our being. We can be happy, we can be sad, we can be joyous, we can be angry. I mean, we don't live driven by our emotions. That's an immature way to live. But the heart is the place of emotions. Proverbs 12 and verse 25. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs it down, but a good word makes it glad. Why should you and I be encouragers? Because every day you are touching somebody who is anxious about something. There's not a person in this room that at some point this week you will not be anxious about something. And look at what he says. It weighs your heart down. And that's why we need to have words of encouragement and to lift people up. Why so downcast, O oh my soul, the psalmist said? Put your trust in God. You see, because the anxiety weighs you down. Turn to Proverbs chapter uh, 15 and verse 13. While you're turning there, you can just make a note of Psalms 55, 22, which says, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. Proverbs 15, 13, a joyful heart makes a cheerful face. But when the heart is sad, the spirit is broken. A joyful heart makes a cheerful face. But when the heart is sad, the spirit is broken. Have you ever seen anybody in the mall, out in society, at a ball game, wherever it is, have you ever seen anybody and their face looks like they've just lived a life of just being worn down and broken and torn up? It's etched on them. There seems to be no joy. There seems to be no happiness. There seems to be no peace. Douglas MacArthur, the great general of the Second World War, said, You are as young as your faith, as old as your doubt, as young as your self-confidence, as old as your fears, as young as your hope, as old as your despair. Listen, folks, when our heart is sad, it wears us out. Turn back to Proverbs 14 and verse 30. Proverbs 14 and verse 30. Where he talks about a tranquil heart. A tranquil heart is life to the body, but passion 
is rottenness to the bones. Now, let me just give you a thought here by Proverbs 14 and verse 30. You can die of hardening of the attitudes just as much as you die of hardening of the arteries. In fact, just because we get older doesn't mean we get sweeter. Sometimes we just get meaner and grappy and gripey and grouchy and grrr. I mean, you know, you see people out there with their kids at Christmas and you go, I hate Christmas. I hate everything about it. I don't want anything. I don't need anything. Don't give me anything. You, you see, attitudes really influence your spiritual health. I mean, if everything to you is a downer, and you got to rain on everybody's parade. I'm not happy, and nobody around me is going to be happy. Then could I encourage you to confine yourself somewhere and not get out in public? And, if, and, if, and especially if you have a bumper sticker with the name of this church on it or, or a fish, for the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, please take it off. I mean, if the first thought in your mind is negative, get a tranquil heart. You know, still one of my favorite lines ever is Mark Lowry. And somebody started complaining to him one day about all that was going on in their life. He said, well, sure beats hell. (laughs) Chapter 17 and verse 22. Chapter 17 and verse 22. This is Dennis Swanberg's life verse. A joyful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit dries up the bones. You see, a joyful heart starts in the heart, but it ends with a smile. Now, look at what he says. A joyful heart is good medicine. You know, if you can learn to laugh, and if you can learn to enjoy life, and especially if you can learn to laugh at yourself, Probably your blood pressure will go down a little bit. Your stress rate, your anxiety will go down a little bit. I mean, you'll be a lot easier to live with yourself and to live with around other people if you can just have a joyful heart. There's nothing wrong with laughter. I mean, I, I, I hear people say, you should never laugh because life is so serious. Can I just encourage you to go to the Atlanta Zoo and look at the animals that God has made, particularly the baboon. (laughs) And ask yourself, does God have a sense of humor? (laughs) He had to. I mean, look at yourself. He had to have a sense of humor. I mean, there is joy in heaven, and laughter is not the same as joy, but you got a merry heart is good medicine. We need to learn to just loosen up and laugh sometimes. Not only is the heart a place of emotions, it's a place of contemplation. It's a place of contemplation. Proverbs 20 and verse 5. I want to look at two verses here. Proverbs 20 and verse 5. The heart is a place of contemplation. 
In other words, the heart is where we do our deepest thinking. We don't deal with life on the surface and in shallow realms. We do our deepest thinking. Proverbs 20 and verse 5. A plan in the heart of a man is like deep water, but a man of understanding draws it out. In other words, if the plan's in your heart, that's deep, but understanding and wisdom help you to draw out what you're supposed to do in that situation. Contemplation. When I'm supposed to speak and when I'm supposed to listen. When I'm supposed to act and when I'm supposed to wait. It's life on a deeper level. Uh, there's a saying we use sometimes, well, that's a no-brainer. Nothing should be a no-brainer. There should be contemplation about what we do. Just turn a page or two to Proverbs 23 and verse 7. For as he thinks within himself, so he is. As he thinks within himself, so he is. Now, just so you don't run with that too far, when I was in the eighth grade, all I thought about was girls, but that didn't make me a girl. What it means is, as you think about something, you become focused on, attached to, loyal to that thing, and you build your life and your priorities around it. That's why the key is the heart, a place of contemplation. But it's also a place of direction, a place of direction. 300 years before Christ, the Greek philosopher uh, Zeno said, the reason why we have two ears and only one mouth is that we may listen the more and talk the less. Now, if it was noisy back then, think about today. I mean, you got cars with, you know, 500-watt stereos in them, and they want you and everybody in the neighborhood to hear it. You know, we've got earphones, and we've got jet noise, and we've got car noise, and we've got music and television. I mean, we're surrounded by noise. But we need to get God's direction, and to get God's direction, sometimes we have to get quiet. Amen. I, I was in a meeting this week with some folks, and uh, just talking about some issues that, uh, that I believe and some others believe we need to address in our community and in our region. And one of the people in the meeting said, now we're here to hear you, your heart. That's what they said. We're here to hear your heart, and we want to hear from you. And 35 minutes later, they took a breath. Now, if you're here to hear my heart, then you need to quit talking and let me have some time. You see, it's one thing to say, we want some direction, we want some guidance. It's another thing to be quiet and listen when somebody's trying to give it. Amen. Say, well, I want to know what to do. And see, here's the thing. A lot of times people go to staff members and to pastors and to Sunday school teachers and say, I'm really trying to get direction on, on whether I ought to move or take this job or change jobs or do whatever. And, and the truth of the matter is they don't want direction. They just want somebody to agree with them. And so if you disagree with them, they'll just go to somebody else. And if they disagree with them, they'll go to somebody else. And they'll keep going until they find somebody that agrees with them. And then they'll say, I have a peace in my heart about this. But it's never driven by the Word of God and by sound counsel. 
And, and so when we want direction, we have to look to the Word of God. Now, let me give you uh, three things. There's some notes uh, at the beginning of, of your note sheet, but I want to go back to something that Howard Hendricks said at the Cove a few years ago about Proverbs. And it's a great way to wrap this all around. It said Proverbs is wrapped around three principles. Number one, two women. It's wrapped around, this is not in your notes. It's not going to be on the iMac. Two women. And the wisdom, the women are called wisdom and folly. And the writer of Proverbs is encouraging us to follow wisdom. Now the question is, why is wisdom a woman? Women, please do not stand up and answer that question. By the way, the word wisdom in Hebrew is a feminine word. You ever heard of a woman's intuition? It's the picture. There's just something inside that says this is wise. So it's divided between two women, wisdom and folly, two paths, life and death, or as Jesus would have said, the narrow road and the broad road. So there's two paths that you can take in life. And then there's two outcomes, righteousness and unrighteousness. Now I want you to hang with me for a minute here because I, I want to address something about Solomon. Because here's a man who gave wisdom. I mean, there's no doubt. He's the wisest man who ever lived. He wrote the greatest book of wisdom that's ever been written. But he did not always follow his own advice. Now, so when you look at Solomon, here's the key to wisdom because somebody will kick back with you and say, yeah, well, you know, how wise was he to have 700 wives and 900 concubines? I mean, what kind of mother-in-law meeting was that? <laughs> Must not have been too wise. Well, here's the deal. He was wise in the way he thought, but he failed in the way he applied his thoughts. You see, it's not enough to teach your children or to learn yourself to be wise. You have to hear and do what God says. It's not just enough to hear it. See, he was long on knowledge, but he was short on application. I mean, Solomon's children could have come to him for wisdom on any subject, and he would have had it because God had granted him wisdom. He could give his kids wisdom, but the information-action ratio was way out of balance. He had all the knowledge in his head, all the wisdom in his head, but he didn't always act on it, and he failed to act on it. He began his reign as a man of wisdom, but then... You go from Proverbs to Ecclesiastes, and the reason that they're listed in the wisdom literature is Proverbs, here's how you should live. Ecclesiastes, here's a man who tried it the other way, and at the end of the life he said, fear God, remember God. Because in Ecclesiastes, we see the vanity of life lived on any other level than God's level, and he wrote it to say, I've gotten back to God's direction for my life. You see, you will never understand what God wants to do in your heart and God's direction for your life if you believe that your need of God is partial. 
Your need of God is total for every decision, for every action, for every thought, that it is driven by the heart of God. Pray with me, please. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. you to think with me for just a moment because every mention of the heart in Proverbs is a description of an individual and I want to just ask you to draw a circle around your heart for a moment these are some of the descriptions of the heart in the book of Proverbs There's the heart that deceives wicked plans. There's the heart that has deceit in it. There's the anxious heart. The backsliding heart. The tranquil heart. The broken heart. The arrogant heart could be you have a crooked heart. There's the joyful heart. Proverbs 18 talks about the intelligent heart. Chapter 22, he talks about the pure in heart. Chapter 25, he mentions those who have a heavy heart. Chapter 26, the evil heart. In chapter 27, the glad heart. In chapter 28, the hard heart. The psalmist said in Psalm 139, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. And so I want to ask you a question. How's your heart? You've uh, just spent the last few minutes having a spiritual EKG done, and the Holy Spirit has come in with the results of those tests, and He's shown you something in your heart. And it could be, it just could be, that if today you don't deal with that, that it will begin to not just be a hindrance, but it will become a clot or a closed-off valve in your life that ultimately will take you on a path that you don't want to go on and take you to a place that you never intended to be. And so the question is, how's your heart? You see, if you've never given your heart to Jesus Christ, if you've never said, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and I'm in need of a Savior. And I realize that today that Jesus Christ is my only hope for salvation. If you've never done that, you should give your heart to Jesus today. And when you give him your heart, it's not just this little corner of you. It's your life. It's your all. It's turning, it's a word called repentance. It's turning from one way of life 
to a new way of life. And it doesn't matter where you're sitting. When Jesus called people, he called them publicly. He said, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father, which is in heaven. I've had people say to me, well, I've trusted him in my heart. I've never made it public. That's a hard issue. Because that is, in fact, a denial. He said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father who is in heaven. So maybe today you need to take your old sinful heart and you need to place it in the hands of Jesus and ask him to cleanse you of your sin. Staff members are here at the front. And if you need to do that today, then I'm going to invite you to get up from where you are. Even before we start singing, I'm going to invite you to get up from where you are and find your way down here and say to one of these men, I need to give my heart to Jesus today. It may be that if your family was to describe you, they would give it one of those characteristics of the heart that's not very flattering. It may be that they would say that dad is not very tranquil. In fact, he's just angry. It may be that they would say that your heart is deceitful. It may be that you'd say about yourself, you know, just sometimes I can just talk myself into things I know I shouldn't be doing. Here's the question. Is your heart glad? Is your heart pure? Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart. And so in a moment when we stand and when we begin to sing, I'm going to ask you to allow the Holy Spirit to do some heart surgery on you today. To allow Him to cut out those things in your life that don't need to be there. And to heal you up from the inside so that your heart can be right with Him. As we begin to sing and as you stand, step out and come and do what God has told you to do.